unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, reading there in the sixth chapter beginning at the fourteenth verse. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends, in Christ Jesus. And it is a beautiful morning, isn't it? A Sunday in January. And I hope that we have enjoyed it and in coming to church that we have thanked God for the privilege that is ours of worshiping him on this day. As all of us know, we have just come through Christmas and Epiphany. We have been down to Bethlehem again and we heard the angel announce, For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior. And then last Sunday when we were in Bethlehem again, we followed the wise men as they came from the east and they found this Jesus to be the king, not only of the Jew, but also the king of all Gentile nations, of all individuals. And today we are standing now on the first Sunday after the Epiphany Festival. And we find St. Paul speaking to us who have been down to Bethlehem. And Paul says to us who have been there, he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He tells us, I call upon you, I ask you, will you watch this in your life? Say to it that you aren't linked up with unbelievers, that you aren't harnessed up with them, that you aren't yoked up with those who have no spiritual scruples, with those who have no moral scruples, Will you see that you don't tie yourself up with them, that you don't run around with them, that you aren't hooked up with those who have no spiritual scruples or values, who have no moral scruples or values, who have no scruples and standards as regards religion and as regards morality. And you and I may say this morning, well, just because we've been down to Bethlehem and we know Christ, we may say, we can't understand why Paul would say, watch that you don't link yourselves with those who have no religious and moral standards and scruples. When you say, why? We can't see any danger in that, can we? You and I say, that wouldn't bother me at all if I'm linked up and I run around with those who have no spiritual values and no moral values. We may say, after all, that isn't very dangerous. I don't see anything perilous there. I don't see anything risky there. We may look at ourselves and say, that's a rather innocent thing. Uh, that's a rather harmless thing. That's an innocuous thing because we may say, after all, we have so much in common. Even though we may run around with those who have no spiritual or moral values, 
there is so much in agreement that we have and there are so many things that we share uh, that the disagreements somehow or other, uh, they seem rather naive and they seem rather insignificant and they seem rather inconsequential. But Paul says, for God's sake, if you've been to Bethlehem, will you avoid in your life tying yourself up with those who have no spiritual or moral values. And Paul would remind you and me, it does make a difference. And this is a dangerous thing because he asked you and he asked me this morning, oh, what is there in common between righteousness and iniquity? What is there as regards common ground between light and darkness? What does Christ have to do in common ground with Belial? with Satan. What is there that is common ground between a believer and an unbeliever? What is there common ground between the temple of God and the temple of idols? Paul would say, for God's sakes, if you've been to Bethlehem, will you listen? Will you see that you're not unequally yoked together with those who have no spiritual and moral scruples? And Paul would remind you and me it's dangerous for the simple reason that he says, remember, there is no common ground. There is no meeting place. There is no concord between Christ and Belial. The poet has said, now east is east and west is west, and ne'er the twain shall meet. And Paul says to you and me this morning, Christ is Christ and Belial is Belial, and they never meet. There is no common ground. There is a vast gap between Christ and Belial. There is a vast chasm between Christ and Satan. There is a vast void between Christ and Satan. And Paul says it's dangerous for God's sakes if you've been to Bethlehem. Don't hook yourself up with unbelievers. Watch out with whom you run around with. Watch out with those who have no religious or moral scruples or values or standards. Paul says, remember, there is nothing in common between Christ and Satan. You and I may say this morning, isn't there? Isn't there a lot in common between Christ and Belial? And is this a necessity that in my life I must avoid for God's sake linking myself up with unbelievers? with those who have no scruples as regards religion and as regards morality. And Paul would remind you and me that there isn't any common ground between Christ and Satan. There is wide apart as east is from the west or as the poles because in the first place remind you and me that Christ wants you and me saved. Belial wants you and me lost. There isn't any common ground. There isn't any meeting place. There is that great no man's land that exists between Christ and Satan. We've been to Bethlehem, haven't we? And here, he who was God's son, the second person from the Trinity, we said, he came into this world and became man and took to himself a human body and a human soul. Born of the Virgin Mary and was born in Bethlehem that he might come and be your Savior and mine, that he might die on the cross and bear our guilt and punishment and bring life and salvation for the world. Christ wants you and me saved eternally. And then there is Belial. Who is Belial? He is Satan. Yes, he was one of the angels of God, this adversary, this wicked one, who rebelled against God and exercised his free will, and therefore in rebelling against God was sentenced to hell. And Satan has only one aim, and that is to destroy you and me, body and soul. 
eternally. There is no other name. There is a vast gulf that exists between Christ and Satan. There is nothing in common. And when we came into the Garden of Eden and our first parents had been created in righteousness and holiness, who was it that said, did God say that you can't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Who was it that came in temptation to destroy the things which God has said it was Belial? And you may say, why? Why is Satan so intense, so hidebound in seeing you and me destroyed? Because he knows he is going to be destroyed. And it's the old thing of misery-loving company. And if he's going to spend eternity in hell, there is no greater glee than to have you and me with him. Paul today says, if you've been down to Bethlehem, will you watch, will you avoid this, that you don't link yourself up with those who have no moral, those who have absolutely no scriptural basis and no real integrity. Why? Because he would remind you and me that you've got to break loose and don't get in link with those because they are not sons of Christ, they are sons of Belial. And their influence is always for your eternal loss and mine never for our salvation. There is no common ground. It isn't innocent with whom we run around with and link ourselves up with when those who have no religious scruples, whatever, become our intimates. This is a dangerous thing. They are not children of Christ. What about their influence? It's always for your loss in mind. It may only be an arched eyebrow. Who are those that come and say, you mean to tell me you believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, that he was God in human flesh? Do you mean to tell me that you're that naive, that you can believe that he was born of the virgin? Do you mean to tell me that he could perform miracles as the scriptures say? Do you mean to tell me that he had that kind of power, that he could raise himself from the dead? Oh, come now, that's the influence. Why? It's always that way whether it's expressed or implied by a look of the eye because the man without any spiritual scruples he says if what you and I believe is right he's damned and he doesn't like that he says if I'm going to be damned you're going to be damned with me there isn't any common ground between Christ and Belial there is no common ground between one who has been down to Bethlehem and one who has no absolute spiritual scruples whatsoever. And therefore we ought to say to ourselves this morning, when Paul says, for God's sake will you avoid harnessing yourself up and running around with those who have no spiritual values and scruples, what to say to him, I'm going to heed that warning, and I'm going to see to it and determine that I'm going to watch with whom I tie up with lest again I fail to see the danger of it and that these may cause me to lose again the spiritual values that I have. Oh, there are some casual tie-ups that we have. If we're going to fly to Chicago, we can't take the time to go and ask the captain if he's a Christian or not. There are some casual. We'd like to have him be a Christian, however. You and I may work in a big industry where we can't take the time to say, is everybody here Christian? But it could be that you and I may work in an office where there are those with whom we associate who have no spiritual values, whatever, and you and I may testify and bear witness and the time may come when we can't stand it because we see that we're drifting away. 
And then Paul says, separate yourselves, abstain. Young friends, you may say it doesn't make much difference whom I marry. It doesn't make any difference what kind of a husband I choose, whether he has any spiritual values, whether he has any real spiritual scruples or not, or the young lady that I marry. Doesn't it make any difference? I can't help but think again of Samuel Clemens of Mark Twain this morning. There was a man that had no spiritual values whatever. Oh, he was a great humorous, period. But there was a man that was filled with hatred towards God as far as spiritual things that meant nothing, but he wooed and he won a young lady who was a Christian. And oh, everything was nice. You know, it's always nice before you get married. You can just do as you please. And she had prayer at the table every day. And oh, it was going to be nice until the day came and he looked at her and he said, Shut up! I don't want to hear any more of that. And we're told that when she died and he, she was dying, he looked at her and she wanted comfort. He says, maybe you can find comfort in the Christ that you believe. And he said, Sam, it's all gone. It's all gone, Sam. No husband or wife is worth your and my losing our eternal life over. Paul says, for God's sakes, watch. Watch who you harness up with. Watch who your mates are. Watch who you run around with. Because again, spiritual values, their influence is always against your and my being saved. And when we can say to ourselves, I'm going to watch and see the danger, then there is going to be this joy. The joy again that we've got some spiritual values. And that again, the spiritual values of Jesus Christ. And that we have salvation in him. Oh, I know sometimes we say to ourselves, what difference does it make with whom we harness ourselves and tie ourselves up with? What difference does it make whom we run around with? And Paul says, if you've been down to Bethlehem, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Watch with whom you link yourself up and entangle yourself with, especially with those who have no spiritual or moral values or scruples or standards. Paul says it's dangerous. What does Christ have in common with Belial? What does light have in common with darkness? You and I may say, oh, there's so much in common. What? What's so much in common? Oh, east is east and west is west. Christ is Christ and Belial is Belial. In the second place, Paul reminds you and me of that again. You say, what is there in contrast? Why is this? That Christ is the one who wants you and me to follow after righteousness. And Belial or Satan wants you and me to kick over all the traces of all the immorality we can find. Jesus, when we've been down to Bethlehem, said, If you belong to me, and if you've got some spiritual scruples, here's the way I want you to live. And he reminds you and me of the Ten Commandments that were written in our hearts by creation and repeated again at Mount Sinai. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his cattle, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And Jesus says, again, when you have come to know me, these shall be your moral scruples, and these shall be your moral standards, that you die walking in his way and growing in Christian living that again we may remain faithful but what about Belial Belial says away with that Tommy rot what again is a moral standard 
live the way you want to live. God doesn't want you to have a good time. He is the one that says, kick over every trace that there is. Don't worry about what's right and wrong. There isn't such a thing as right and wrong. These standards, these are nothing but, again, the mores, the customs of individuals. Go out and live it up. There is no common ground. When you and I link ourselves up with those who have no moral standards and scruples, they are not sons of Christ. They are sons of Belial. Their influence is always to see how they can tempt you and me, to see how far we can go to the edge in hoping that we'll fall off so that we'll be lost like they'll be lost. We're living in an age, aren't we, where we talk about what's left in morality. When we read that 40 young co-eds unwed in one of our state universities became pregnant in one month's time, we're saying to ourselves, where is the moral standard and the moral scruple of yesterday? But we're being told these things, we've outgrown these things. There isn't such a thing as a standard of morality of right and wrong. If there isn't any God, you see, oh, then what is right and what is wrong? And even again in the dope and the drug addiction, even the United States government is saying, what are we going to do to rehabilitate our boys? When we read the figures of the number that have become marijuana addicts in Vietnam, we're beginning to say, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And when you and I link ourselves up with those who have no moral scruples, no standard of right and wrong. Say, come on, see how far you can go and jump off. Don't be inhibited. Express yourself. You've got the pill. Go out and live. If you get pregnant, you can have it knocked. All we need is abortion. We're in an intelligent age. If it had been down in San Antonio when one of our Christian surgeons got up and talked about abortion, that's all they need. Well, that's the one thing left. Now let them murder them when they become pregnant. If the pill doesn't work, well, that's the way you live. This is what happens. And we say this isn't dangerous. Why, this is innocuous. This is so harmless. We've got so many things in common. And bear in mind uh, that those who have no moral standards and no moral scruples they are not children of Christ. They are children of Belial. You say we've got so much in common. What? What is there in common? What does light have in common with darkness? What do temples of God, whose body yours and mine is, what do they have with idols? Their aim and their influence is always to get you and me lost. Because they've got sense enough to know this. If the Christ that you and I believe in and the way we live on his moral stand, if these things are right, they're damned. And believe you me, they say, if I'm going to be damned, so are you. Don't you ever think that when we tie ourselves up with those who have no moral scruples, that they are interested in your eternal welfare to mine. That's a lie. We ought to say to ourselves then this morning that I'm going to determine to realize the danger of tying myself up with anyone who has no moral standards to realize the jeopardy of losing it. We're talking about colleges today. 
We're reading about colleges and they're saying we need help financially. If we don't get it, we're going by the board. And somehow or other, there's an apathy, isn't there? The money isn't coming. Somewhere or other, individuals, Christians, are becoming disillusioned with the college campus. They're wondering what's wrong, especially the college that calls itself a Christian institution. Oh, not that because a college is a Christian institution that every student's going to come out and be a Christian no more than every one of us in church is going to go home and be a Christian. But we are having the right to say when a school calls itself a Christian school and college, do you still teach the faith that once was delivered to the saints? Do you still teach the deity of Jesus Christ? Do you still teach the virgin birth? Do you still teach his resurrection from the dead? Do you still teach that only in him and in him alone is there eternal life? What is your standard of morality? When we see some of the products coming out of so-called Christian colleges, it makes us sick. Coming home cynical. No scruples as regards faith and life. No caring how they live. We're saying to ourselves, if this is a Christian campus, let's see it. And if you don't show it, you have no right to exist. If I were the president of a Christian university, those in the religion department, they would either stand by the faith delivered to the saints and a morality and keep it, or they'd go on. They wouldn't teach in a university that calls itself Christian. You and I say, what's the danger? Losing our eternal welfare. We've got the right when a school or a college or a university or a seminary call themselves Christian to say, is it the faith delivered to the saints? There isn't any common ground between Jesus Christ and Belial. East is east and west is west. And there the two shall meet. They don't meet. Paul would remind him, have you been down to Bethlehem? Well, then I want you to know this. Will you watch out for God's sakes and avoid linking yourself up and hooking yourself up with unbelievers, with those who have no spiritual scruples and standards and principles or moral standards. And you and I say, oh, we've got so much in common. This is an innocuous, this is a harmless thing. This looks so innocent. Paul says, what common ground is there between Christ and Satan? You name it. There's a vast chasm. There's a vast abyss. There's a vast no man's land. There's a vast wasteland between Christ and Satan. Because in the third place, Paul would remind us that Christ wants you and me ready when he comes again, and Delio wants you and me unprepared when Christ comes. Oh, he's coming again, Jesus says. I'm coming again, and I hope you let your lower lights continue to burn. I hope when I come, I'll find you in grace. I hope when I come, you will still have your faith and your confidence in me as your Lord and Savior. And I hope your lives will prove it, that you have walked with me. Because when I come, I want nothing more than again to receive you, to raise your body from the dead, and to receive you into everlasting life in the new heavens and the new earth. And Satan says, 
I'll do everything that I can. That when he comes again, you won't be ready. That your conscience will be dead. It will be so jaded. It will be so rubbed off that you won't care whether he comes again, that you won't care how you live, that when I am damned on the last day to an eternity in hell, that you will be damned with me. And when you and I say, where's there any danger with whom I associate? Where's there any danger with whom I hook myself up with, or I link myself, or I simply put myself in the noose with? Paul says, listen, for God's sakes, don't be unequally yoked together with those without any spiritual or any moral standards. Why? They aren't sons of Christ. They are sons of Satan and sons of hell. Christ and Satan are as far apart as heaven is from hell. And their influence is always this. That again, if they can just keep you and me away from Christ and away from any morality in him to harden the heart. Uh, that the Holy Spirit leaves us and we walk as living, eternally damned men. This is what the man of the world wants. He can't stand to see you and me saved and himself lost. We say to ourselves, what an influence. Oh, we're not influenced. This is such a, oh, it's such a harmless thing. Did you read the memoirs of Khrushchev? as they appeared in Life magazine. He was talking about Joe Stalin, what a hard, cruel man Joe was. And Khrushchev is head of, again, the communistic regime, and you read about him. You know, I wondered as I read again the excerpts in Life magazine, I wonder what kind of a background he had, rather strange. He admitted that he came out of a Christian home. Khrushchev had a Christian mother, a God-fearing mother. He even admitted that as a child, he had hopes of becoming a minister in the Russian Orthodox Church. You say, how in the world could a man with a Christian mother and having again a spark within his soul of becoming a minister, how could a man become so ruthless, killing them by the millions, Christians suffering under that man? Why? Because he joined the communist as a youth. And he thought again it was, he was going to advance himself. Little realizing when you hook up with communism and with communists that you're hooking up with individuals that have no religious scruples, they have no moral scruples, whatever, and they mean eternal damnation for every man. You look at a man like Khrushchev and you say, what might he have been if he hadn't unequally yoked himself together with communists to lose our soul. We ought to say to ourselves if we've been down to Bethlehem and we've come away from Christmas, we've just come away from Epiphany and it was a beautiful experience, wasn't it? We ought to say, I'm going to be on my guard and I'm going to watch and I'm going to pray for that again. I'm going to see to it that I'm not sticking myself in any kind of a noose. I'm not going to put myself in a yoke or in a harness. I'm not going to run around with those who have no spiritual or moral scruples. It's too dangerous. Then that we can have the joy. Oh, the joy of knowing this, that God is our Father. We are his children. And that again, the future is most bright. I had a woman come to see me one day. I didn't know her. I had never met her. 
She sat down and said, my husband is a very sensitive soul. He's a man that loves this country, he did. And he, he felt like he had to do something to help this country in all of its problems. She said he was motivated fine. But he joined a certain organization that told him, this is what we stand for. But she said it hasn't turned out that way. My husband's afraid. He gets phone calls in the middle of the night. And he's got to go to Chicago. And he can't tell me why. He's got to go to Washington. And he, he's in with groups. And she says, I, I'm suspecting that he has joined something that he's afraid of. He's in with a group that wants to overthrow this government. He's in with a group that wants to overthrow the churches. He's in with a group that wants to overthrow everything we have. And he told me, he said, if I come up missing, don't ever try to find out what has happened. He's afraid. You see, when we noose ourselves with those who have no spiritual or moral scruples, God only knows what can happen. You may say, well, who's Paul to tell us if we'd been to Bethlehem and to say, for God's sakes, don't, don't hook yourself up and link yourself up with those who have no spiritual or moral values and scruples. Why, Paul says, who am I? Listen, I was hooked up with them, unbelievers once. I hated the Lord Jesus Christ with a vengeance. Did you forget it? But he says, I, I went on. I was going up to Damascus one day. And though I hated Jesus Christ, I was hooked up with all those who were out to kill anybody that said that they were a follower of his. And it noon one day on the way to Damascus, there was a tremendous light. And I fell from my beast of burden. And a voice said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, and I fell off on my beast of burden. And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou dost persecute. And Paul would say, you're asking me why I'm saying this for God's sakes. Watch with whom you harness yourself up with. Paul saying, in that moment on the Damascus way, there came to me the sudden reality that I was lost. No, it was hell. I never knew what it meant. I was persecuting Jesus. And Paul would say, do you know what it means to be lost on the Damascus way? This was an existential moment in my life and I, I realized I was damned. I was lost. I was hooked up with the wrong group and then I repented and I gave my life to him. When I found that I, through him, was a child of God and God was my father and I was one of you. I spent my life, he would say, when I got out of that noose, I went out and I went through the entire world as much as I could and I told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Don't you ask me why I'm telling you this. I knew what it meant on the Damascus way to be lost. When you and I can say this morning, I'm going to watch. I'm not going to lose my soul over some harnessing that's only going to last for the time. But when there will be an end to all this, there is an eternity. When we say, I'm not going to hook myself up. I'm not going to run around with. I'm not going to marry somebody who has no spiritual or moral values. Because I want God as my father. And I want to be known as his son because this is all going to pass someday. Then you and I can go along and we can sing, My God and I 
go in the field together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands, our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the meadows, you. This earth will pass, and with it common trifles. But God and I will go unendingly. Oh, God grant that you and I can go on unendingly because we're not going to stick our necks in a noose with those who have no spiritual, no moral scruples, no moral values, no moral standards. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.